This is Women's Tech Radio, a show on the Jupiter Broadcasting Network interviewing interesting women in technology, exploring their roles and how they're successful in technology careers. I'm Paige. And I'm Angela. So Angela, today we interviewed a good friend of mine, Maura Hardick, and she is the CEO and president, also founder of Galvanives Labs, and they're an edutech startup. And uh, she kind of gives us the lowdown on what that means and what that looks like and kind of how she's using her experience in gaming to bring technology and education together. And into gaming. Because it's technology and education in games. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. It's like a, this m- awesome hybrid mashup that she goes on to kind of explain what that means. And it's a really neat interview, I think. And before we get into the interview, I'd like to mention DigitalOcean. If you go to digitalocean.com and use the promo code HEYWTR, you can save on simple cloud hosting dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. You can create a, a cloud server in 55 seconds and pricing plans start at only $5 a month. That's 512 megabytes of RAM, 20 gigabytes SSD, one CPU, and one terabyte transfer. DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, and London. And the interface is incredibly simple, intuitive. The control panel is awesome. It'll help you design exactly what you need, which empowers users to replicate on large scales with the company's straightforward API. Check out digitalocean.com by using promo code HEYWTR. And we got started with our interview today by asking Maura to explain her role in technology. I'm the president and CEO of Galvanize Labs, and we are a hybrid tech company at the moment. And, and what we're, we're working on is um, edtech, so educational gaming and technology education. And my role is a little bit of, of everything. So in startups and small companies, it's kind of everything from the business side to the, the tech side, the design side. I get, to, I get to do a little bit of everything, which is probably really good for me. So it um, keeps me excited, keeps me interested, and it's certainly never boring. So kind of broad, but also really exciting. What is a hybrid technology company? I like to think of it as a hybrid because we're focusing on education and we have such a strong emphasis in validating the kind of, you know, the educational side of of what we're doing, not just throwing out the term of, hey, this is an educational product, but we really want to kind of, you know, be accredited and validate that educational status. So we're kind of half an education company and the other half of it is, you know, a gaming studio. A lot of, you know, everything we do within the game is all in-house. Nothing is third party. You know, nothing is purchased. We do everything inside. So everything from from soundtracks to all the digital assets to the game design to the voices um, is all in-house. So that's where I kind of feel the hybrid is this great educational emphasis and then this fun game studio. Has it been a challenge to kind of combine those two worlds? Like, I mean, you don't typically think of education and gaming at all. Um, it, it has been really interesting because um, I just don't think it's been done in this way before. Because you really do have these two totally separate, you know, industries of gaming, which is, you know, so much more classically identified as entertainment, right? You know, I think of, you know, game releases now are almost like, you know, movie release weekends and, you know, billion dollar release weekends. And it's entertainment and it's really, you know, what it does so well. Um, you know, education is obviously, you know, kind of almost the, the flip side of that. Not to say that education isn't fascinating, um, but you certainly don't see, you know, a billion dollar, you know, education weekend. 
And so as far as how kind of the money flows and how the tech works, it's entirely different. So when you try to put kind of educational gaming together, you don't see gaming classically as an industry really turning its considerable talent towards the education industry because it just doesn't have the same type of return. And that leaves education a little bit off on an island that although gaming is a really powerful tool that can be utilized within within education, you know, they, they really don't get to use the, the great talent of the gaming industry. And so that leaves educators to kind of self-educate when it comes to gaming, right? So so gaming inside of education or edu-gaming, which that's always a great term, um, has been a little bit lackluster because it doesn't bring, you know, this entertainment quality. And, and kids today, I mean, I like to call them like, they're like the 3DS generation, right? So they're the first one, you know, if you give them a crappy game, they're going to tell you this is a crappy game. Um, when they're used to things, you know, like, you know, Battlefield and Call of Duty and, you know, World of Warcraft and, you know, visually stunning games with tremendous dynamics that keep them really engaged, you know, edge gaming really can't compete. And so what we really wanted to bring to this was a level of edge, you know, entertainment quality gaming with real educational validation. And um, and that was a challenge, and and we really kind of were able to pull it off for the first time. And so we, we we live in between these two worlds, and that yet we don't wholly belong to one or the other. So there's pros and cons to that. And always, whenever you're bridging a gap, it's always strengths and weaknesses. Right. Yeah. First to market again. Like there's there's bonuses and there's drawbacks. And so. So you do everything in house. Like what what kind of tools do you use to to do that for for education for gaming? Oh my God, we do. We I feel like we there's like a little bit of just everything. Um, you know, the game is is built and designed entirely from the Unity engine. So obviously, we do a, a lot of work in Unity. All of the the web interfaces. So um, all of your guys' favorite stuff from Node to, to Angular to the tremendous list of the custom APIs that we create. Um, you know, the game is um, hosted within Amazon, right? So AWS and God bless them for that. And there's just so many little pieces that we're able to put together and custom design. Half of the time that we spent building the original platform for launch before we actually built the game, we built proprietary tools that we were going to use to build the game and make production even easier going forward. So the custom scripting system that we were able to create. So all of the text and all the interaction that you see in the game isn't actually hard-coded into the game. It's actually all dynamically being pulled through our custom scripting system. And so for our writers and our game designers, you know, we actually have a web portal where now when we write scripts for games going forward, we're actually just, when we create those storyboards and write those scripts, we're dro dropping those scripts into a web portal that's then dynamically being pulled into the game when, you know, when the game is hard-coded. So it's great tools like that. We have an in-game currency that's called jewels, right? So it's like you know, gold coins in Mario Brothers or, or rings in Sonic you know, to make, again, production much more efficient instead of hard-coding you know exactly where you know those little pieces of currency are going to be in every level you know we have a custom coordinate and mapping system so again it's on the back end we get to go to this great little web portal that we've created and drop the coordinates for where these are going to go instead of hard coding in the game where they are and that just gives us a lot of freedom and so we can change levels and we can change maps and we can build new things and keep the game and the future games really dynamic and updated for the kit so it's a great experience for our users. So from, from the game itself to the tools we've created to make production more dynamic, there's so much stuff that we're using and, and a lot of stuff that we're creating on our own. And what is your target age? The age range is actually remarkably large because of the type of content that we're, we're offering. And I, I kind of like to call the the beginning platform. So 
So right now, Take a Charge is a series of four games that are played sequentially. And then we actually have three games that are about to kind of roll off the production line. And then we have 30 more that are currently up on the storyboard that are in production. The first, be the beginning part of our platform, I like to call it BC, it's before coding. So it's, so, it's, so it's fundamentals, right? It's really getting kids to kind of work up into coding and those advanced topics. Because we're talking about these fundamentals, it actually gives us a tremendously large age range. The only thing that you need to play Take in Charge is a third grade reading level and a browser and an internet connection. So I have kids playing this that are from third graders to we just completed a really fun pilot actually here at a Chicago high school. Um, and it was freshmen, sophomores and juniors in high school that were playing it. So it's really, it's really all about what level of knowledge the user or the player has, or in this case doesn't have, and a lot of students in, in America are lacking these technology fundamentals. And then gaming being this great universal language can speak to a large range of audiences. So the exact same game is just as fun and interactive for um, you know elementary school kids as it is for high schoolers. And it kind of has that Minecraft effect, right? You know, you have, yes. you have 10 year olds playing Minecraft and then you know, very popular in like the 55 plus market too, you know, it's tremendous. Right. And so where do you see the kids going after they use your product? Are you planning to develop something after that for more advanced? What is your vision on where they go after? There's, there's kind of multiple ways to, to look at it. So obviously in, in the company being as, as young as it is, you know, we are building, you know, again, an extended platform. So there are, um, again, three games coming and then there's 30 more games to come, right? So this will be quite a large marketplace of options and, and of topics and everything. And, and it all begins to get more advanced. So we're all kind of about this progressive learning model and being able to progress kids through technology um, as a subject. Because I feel like you know, technology is always kind of treated as this this one-off um, when it's when it's addressed educationally. And we certainly don't do that to math, right? And you always see like, let's throw kids into coding, right? Because like coding and robotics, those are really sexy technology topics. And those are great, great, great topics. Um, but when we teach kids math in school, when they have no bath background in math, you know, we don't start them in long division, right? We go back and we start with addition and subtraction, right? And mm -hmm. uh, multiplication, and then we move them forward, right? We make sure that they grasp these topics so that, you know, they don't get frustrated when they walk away. When we teach kids technology, like we're throwing them to coding and there's this huge assumption that they have this underlying knowledge when, um, you know, I've got the benefit of working with kids hands-on for the last decade and like, you know, 90% of the kids that we work with don't know where a file goes when you download it through a browser. But we're like, let's go to coding. So what we, so we really want to do is, you know, build this progressive model, have them move forward. So yeah, our platform will move into things like coding. It doesn't move into things like, you know, 3D modeling and, and different stuff like that. And so, yeah, there are those options. We partner with a lot of youth development organizations that offer, again, more advanced programs. And we're also kind of working with now other types of technical training sites that are a little bit more adult driven that if you can get this really solid kind of baseline in your your younger years, then, you know, why couldn't you go into um, think of what's out there in tech ed for adults and things like, you know, Linda and Pluralsight and all those great educational sites that you can continue your own education online. So there's so many places to go after this once you establish this great baseline. So we're we're working in a lot of different arenas to see where you can go. So have you always been involved in gaming? Like, did you start out as a gaming game developer or anything like that? No, certain, certainly not. I mean, I've always had an interest in game dynamics and I've always applied them in a lot of the work that I've done. And, and game design as, as pure game design, um, you know, was something that kind of came came later and really kind of came in the, the second half of my 
my career and the and the decade that I, I spent it spent at Best Buy. And um, you know, when it really became, you know, it really came for me when I really was able to recognize what a powerful tool gaming was going to be and it could be in that educational realm. And um, I just had a particular passion point around teaching and particularly the in the youth market and and gaming just seemed to be at the center of that for me. And um, admittedly, I think kind of like every other, you know, every, any other entrepreneur, I just looked at gaming and what it could be and was irked that my point of view was we're not doing it right. And I wanted to do something different with it. So, um, you know, I had to get involved. And so, so gaming came much later for me. So you, you've been a lifelong gamer yourself though. What are some of your favorites? I can always go all the way back to like my Apple IIe when I was younger. So I totally just dated myself and gave away how old I am. So that's fine. I'd still, I still play like a mod of number munchers from when like I was a kid. Cause that's all we had when we were in school. So yeah, so so games like that, and then I, like Day of the Tentacle, I thought was really great. I still have the original box too. Box too, it's like one of my prized possessions. For me though, really, really advanced gaming, and I think I've I have told the story like a million times. It was the very first Civilization by Sid Meier when it was Civ, and and that really pushed me over the top into kind of my, my love of gaming. And I was really kind of like this closeted gamer in college because I didn't know any other girl that gamed. And so, yeah, I always hung out like with like the geeky guys because I worked at the student union and they, they introduced me to like Counter-Strike and things like that. And so it's been like this really slow progression. And I was really kind of an isolated individual gamer, like until after I got out of college. And then when you go to work for a company like Best Buy, you know, that sells games and consoles, it just the addiction got out of control from there. Yeah, I had a very similar experience, you know, got into games like a little bit in high school and then definitely college civilization. Definitely one of those in The Sims. Oh, yeah. I never did do Sims. I uh, I had to actually, like, I had a, you know, burned copy back in the day of The Sims. And uh, my freshman year, I had to take it out of my drive during finals week and literally break it in half so that I would pass my finals and stop playing The Sims. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. See? that's I think it still is, is, is. I believe it is still, like, the number one game for women. I believe it is still sitting up there as the number one game for women. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I really, I've, I got into Minecraft in 2011, I think, and I really like it. Now I'm, now I'm playing it with my son and that's really fun, but I did Battlefield 1942 and some of the other first person shooters and it was my husband and me and his friends, no other women. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was great. It's one of my geek cards of shame that I'm epically bad at first person shooters. Oh, I am epically good. Really? They call me Hidden Angers. <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's awesome yes yes i'm a sniper yeah very nice i am epically mediocre <laughs> well awesome. we run the gamut now yeah yeah it's like, all yeah, three of like, us yeah yeah it's like i can at least hold my own and not be at like the bottom of it but if i go to talk trash then i totally get rocked and so then i'm just kind of somewhere yeah in the in the middle and then yeah oh, it's sim games though that then just just dominated me so like sim city i that was the one that i had to like get rid of because i was gonna never have a social life again with SimCity. And then I was one of those that was so depressed when SimCity came out, you know, with EA last year and it was so bad, but now thank you Skylines is amazing. And if you haven't played that yet, do it. Um, and I'm afraid it's gonna, you know, very, very negatively impact Galvanize right now. You know, in the same way that I've avoided Pinterest, I avoided Sims because, <laughs> because I would get consumed. Yeah. Like I've chosen not to do that uh, intentionally. Don't avoid Pinterest, it's so good. No, you know what? I use Instructables. And it's like way better because um, they actually like show 
how to do it right there. You don't have to click on somebody's blog so they can get ad revenue or, or wonder just because they didn't put any link on how to do things. And Instructable is way better. But, you know, I tried to get into console gaming's game games like Donkey Kong I really liked, you know, on Super Nintendo. But um, Poker Smash on Xbox is amazing. I'll have to look at that. Po like poker, this card game? Yes. And like, and it's like, it's like Tetris, but with poker. And so like you match poker hands to clear, clear lines and, Whoa. and it, it's, it's really cool. And you go up levels and there's different music. I just love it. Anyway. This is it. This is, see, this is gaming is, is just universal. And this is why it's just so, mm -hmm. so powerful as a tool. This is why. Yep. I'm a competitive Tetris junkie. Ah. I like it. A lot of people are like, I'm really good at Tetris. I'm like, you don't understand. Competitive Tetris is different. Like <laughs> send lines to each other and stuff. Do you have the Tetris lamp from uh, ThinkGeek? No, but I should. Yeah. Clearly. I can't I can't find the power brick. The the straight it's the straight brick. I can't find it. But I have all the other ones. I bet you already anything it doesn't exist because like in the game, it's never there when you need it. So. <laughs> right? Yeah. You see got real life Tetris in my in my house with that so, lamp. So ThinkGeek didn't actually ever create one just to give you the same level of frustration that the game does. <laughs> no. I did. It did. I did have it. I just. I have three kids, and one of them took off with it somewhere, and it is somewhere else in the house. Your kids also functioning completely the way the game Tetris does. Yes. That's fantastic. <laughs> Somebody has made off with my line piece. Where is it? Yep. <laughs> so awesome. So you're the CEO of your own company now. Yep. And having done that, and having been in the gaming space as a woman, have you? Like, have you been able to find other women to work with in your company? Other women gamers? Like, how is that working? I mean, I, I will definitely say, I mean, there's obviously there's there's women at Galvanize. I, I, won't, I, I won't overplay that. Is that that was that I went out and, and went on some big search for, for women and everything. Because quite honestly, this my team and I have been together for a long time. And we've worked together at previous um, companies. So, so sadly, that wasn't like, you know, this big kind of re recruiting coup. And I haven't expanded the company in incredibly. We've, we've stayed in a very, very lean model as we've gone on to do this, you know, like kind of kind of go, kind of go in the Reddit way and staying real lean. So I, I haven't done a lot of that. But from from a networking standpoint, yeah, it's, um, it's hard. You know, I, I don't see I don't come across a ton of other um, female startups in this genre, certainly not kind of in gaming and um, like not locally. I think I mentioned I was on like a Skype call last week and that happened to be um, a female um, game designer, but she, and she was up in Canada. But the two worlds were, you know, completely different. And so and being in, you know, on the business side here, right, and, and we're monetizing the game, this, that, and the other. Um, theirs was more kind of social game and, and kind of grant-based and that kind of stuff. So those were two little bit different worlds that we lived in. So gaming is still, you know, obviously very, very male-dominated. You know, I still get, you know, bathrooms to myself at, you know, PAX and, you know, GDC. It's, um, and, you, and you guys know how that goes. So I don't come across a, a lot of that, and then, and then what has been I think a little bit different for me is is because of how we we started the company, the fact that it was kind of bootstrap and angel funded, and I didn't um, I didn't do things like Y Combinator or STEM Connector or kind of any of those incubators to kind of get this started, um, and I went a different path, and then we moved right into a revenue model. You know, I'm kind of I, I was networked you know a little bit differently, so. I didn't have access to to a ton of that stuff, so yeah, it has it has been a little bit isolating, and that's been not the greatest feeling in the world. So, if other women are kind of out there with a, a big idea and kind of some cojones to make it happen, like what I think 
it's always sad to me that there aren't more women out taking risks. Like, what would you say to someone who's got an idea and, you know, wants to wants to try to be an entrepreneur? I mean, take the risk. I, I really just, you know, I, I don't see, you know, why not? And, and I really, I don't see any, any difference in, in, in a woman taking the risk than, you know, a man taking the risk in, in the startups that they have. And, you know, and, and quite honestly, and my favorite kind of part of it is always, you know, strength in, in numbers and that, you know, I don't think it should be, you know, one or two female entrepreneurs at the time, I think, you know, we should be doing, you know, doing this in big groups and, and big numbers. And are there special challenges for, for us? I think, yeah, that's, um, that certainly can, can be the case. But I also think women have a really very particular point of view. And I think it's very powerful, um, the way that women look differently at, at how to solve problems. And I think um, in, in the, the world and the way the marketplace today, I think the woman's point of view is very, very powerful. And I'd love to see that out there. Um, way more than it is and the very simple answer to that is yeah get out there um and do it and i don't see any reason why not the same risk is involved it's it is it's scary and i think um you know i think my my dad says it says it best it kind of feels like you're trying to you know thread a needle you know while jumping out of an airplane and it feels like that for everybody no matter what gender you are the the diverse thinking is so important and we we had an interview with tara wheeler van vlack and she's a ceo of freshment and you know, has done a lot of work in the tech space as a woman entrepreneur. And she's like, you know, it's not even just women. It's just like getting a group together that doesn't all think the same way. You know, you can have a, a diverse group of, you know, all different colors of the rainbow, all different genders, all different sexualities and put them in a room. And if they're all Harvard grads, you know, they still all think the same. You know, diverse, thing, diverse thinking is more than just gender, but gender is a huge piece of that. Mm hmm. Agreed. I agreed. I'm, I'm very, I'm a very, very big advocate of that. And um, I, I think you see it all the time and, and I am you know, a member of a different, you know, women's group and I just, I, I can't help but see it in, in a lot of different, you know, scenarios that I put in and these very stark differences. And I think that point of view is just, is so powerful. And I really want to see that voice and that point of view, you know, come to the forefront a lot more. If there's one piece of advice you could give someone who's about to get started, what would you say? I think this is the one I, I, I give um, every time I, I hear this one, and it's so true. It's just don't do it alone. I think there are a lot of people out there that think that when you do this and this the startup culture is, it's it's kind of either one or two things. Either you already have to be incredibly well-networked, and if I'm not, then I can't do this, and that's not true. And the other side of it is, is you know, um, I have to have all the answers, right? And I can't do this if I don't have all the answers. And there's this kind of misconception of I'm doing this alone. You're not, you're never, you know, you're never actually really doing it alone and don't try to do it alone. You don't have to have all the answers. Don't try to kind of be the lone ranger on this. And it's okay to ask for help and it's okay to bring other people in and it's better to do it that way. And it's, it's, it is, it is scary, but it's not scary for the reasons that you think it's scary. Um, you know, scary comes later, but don't do it alone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Women's Tech Radio. Don't forget you can contact us by going to jupiterbroadcasting.com. There's a contact form. You can also do the show drop down to find all the Women's Tech Radio shows and find the show notes for each of the shows with tons of links and resources. You can also check us out on iTunes where you can subscribe to the podcast or if you'd rather use the RSS feed that's available on the Jupiter Broadcasting site. You can also follow us on Twitter at HeyWTR. Or you can check out our Tumblr that has all of the transcripts of the past shows at heywtr.tumblr.com. 
Um, and if you have a minute, shoot us an email, leave us some feedback. WTR at jupiterbroadcasting.com.